Radio is either companionship or it's nothing. It's no better than the iPod. It's no better than anything. It's companionship. That's Pat O'Day, an icon of radio in Seattle and the country for that matter. If you are familiar with that name, you won't want to miss the moments I spent with Pat O'Day on this edition of Voices of Experience. Also joining me today will be Shannon Childs. She is the Senior Vice President and Marketing Director with Kitsap Bank. If you are a small business owner in Western Washington, you'll want to stick around and hear what Shannon has to say about an innovative program that Kitsap Bank instituted that's called the Edge Fund. I attended an event this week that is actually called The Event, sponsored by Marketing Northwest. Who is the Person of the Year? Wait until the end of the show to find out. Voices of Experience talks with people who have experience. Simply put, that's all we do here. Back with Pat O'Day, who is the absolute definition of experience in just a moment. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. The term legend is often associated with an individual who has made monumental achievements in their chosen profession or professions. Pat O'Day clearly rises to this level of recognition. He is best known as the radio host and personality on KJR AM, during the 1960s, he eventually became the program director and general manager. He also served as commentator for Seafair hydroplane races between 1967 and 2012. Simply put, Pat O'Day was responsible for lifting the Seattle music scene to the national level. A plaque and a photograph of Pat O'Day was added to the permanent disc jockey exhibit at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. I sat down with Pat O'Day at the Bell Harbor International Conference Center at an event that was sponsored by Marketing Northwest. You can hear some of the chatter and laughing in the background of some of the attendees at the Marketing Northwest event out on the deck of the Bell Harbor International Center on a beautiful Pacific Northwest evening. Before I started talking about radio and his concert promotions that he did for so many years, his favorite bands, etc., He's been selling property and homes on San Juan Island for 20 plus years now. And I asked him, does he enjoy it? And how is it going? Yeah, it's competitive though. There's about 60 agents on that little island. Young people, hungry and scrambly. <laughs> so, but I don't hunt mice, I hunt moose. I look for big ones and they're fewer and farther between. But, Okay. Now, do you concentrate in orcas or all the islands? Just San Juan's, Mike. You've been doing this a long time. Tw uh, real estate? Yeah. 25 years. Wow. When we moved up there, I had to do something. You see, we moved. We, I bought a place up there in 81. And when my daughter was born in 91, uh, and my wife was tired of her law practice in Seattle, she said, let's move to the island great place for Chelsea to grow up and I was doing consultancies for stations at the time 
and uh, I said, how can, I can't go up there, I need to be by the airport and this and that, and then somebody said to me, why don't you get a real estate license and do real estate up there? So I retired from my consultancies and got a real estate license and 25 years have gone by and there we are. But in the meantime, I got involved with Schick Shadel and some stuff like that. Sure. No, you've been doing a, doing a lot of different things. Was that a hard transition for you when you actually did go up to uh, the San Juans? Like, yeah. Like, take a year or so to yeah, adjust to the new because lifestyle? Because I was broadcasting and showbiz, you know. And, right. Uh, that was a rather quiet life up there that uh, <clears throat> I was very unaccustomed to. <laughs> well, <clears throat> as far as radio goes, I grew up on your radio station KJR in uh-huh. the 60s and you know and when you had like a share of 48 oh yeah you know and in those days that you know you see now audience shares of four and five well there and was no great. FM to speak of true it. but it's still uh, we still had about 18 19 stations here in the area so yeah our ratings were you know it's a good thing I didn't realize how powerful we were because I'd have probably blown the whole thing. But you know, in those days, you get up in the morning and say, we got a 40 share, how can we get a 42? You know, I gotta do better than I'm doing. <laughs> well, that's the attitude you obviously had. Yeah. You and know, you look uh, back on it and say, oh my God. You didn't realize what you had going in the sense, being in the middle of it, you didn't, the reach and all you had, the influence you had on so Well, you so understand that the top 40 radio at the time was evolving. I got started in the 50s when, you know, people said rock and roll was evil, you know, and ministers were saying, don't listen to those stations, you know, and, and, and so we brought it forward to the point that it had acceptance, and, and then, you see, I had a different doctrine. I figured that radio uh, had to be companionship and had to have individual personalities with the music. I figured we had to make people laugh or cry or do something, but just music in itself wasn't adequate to get the job done. So that led to being pretty persnickative in who I hired, but those guys that I hired, uh, well, this history tells itself from Larry Lujak to Land well, you, you had some real talent. Tom Murphy, Tom Murphy Jim Darren, who became Jane, Jim Hilliard running uh, stations in the East, and Mike Phillips, who was PD of the big station in Los Angeles, and uh, uh, Tom Murphy, amazing people. So what was your criteria when you hired each one of them? What, what did each one of them have in common? That Why did you well, hire them? I would, I would say, you know, make me laugh or make me cry in person when they're interviewing. Uh, I like your voice, I like what you're doing, but but uh, we're, we're, we're in a competitive market and I want to make strides and keep going forward and I need superstars to accomplish that. And uh, so tell me uh, how you're going to mesmerize our audience. <laughs> It seemed to me that you had a flair for picking the music because you've got some really off bands in other parts of the country. And I find it interesting that there's some bands that really flourished up here because of you and not elsewhere. Well, how did you do it? What was your process? First of all, I had, I had an ear and a, quite a batting average to hear a hit. 
I looked at this thing called Wooly Bully by Sam the Sham, and I put it on the turntable and we listened to it. I said, that's a hit. And I called the station in Seattle. Of course, it went on the air. And, but uh, I think mainly because my background was involved a lot of church. My father was a minister. I became very accustomed to songs that have endured over hundreds of years. And I think there are certain chords, certain feelings, certain emotions that will bring about a hit and some records won't have it. Now that's kind of a complex description, but right, no, no, I've never really been asked that question before. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then also we used to uh, uh, run what we called the Battle of the New Sounds from 6 till 7 o'clock and, and the listeners would respond and so on. And that was a help. But on top of that, we had the courage to put a record, new record on. You know, to hell with all the research and everything. You listen to it, you say, that thing sounds like a hit. Let's let the listeners decide whether it's good or not and not just wait to see what the sales were in Boston or somewhere else. Right, or change his focus group and all of a sudden, smooth yeah. jazz is gone because New York dropped it. Okay, right. everybody rolls out and right. they run that way. Um, it must have been a lot of fun in the sense, a lot of pressure, but fun than running a station like that. And can you work? Could you have worked in an environment where it is now that you're just at the station and no. you get the orders and no, because no, there's so much no, creative I, I part of that. do that's no fun. Um, uh, Les Smith and Danny Gay, uh, starting in 1962, first to '62, they just plain turned the station over to me. I mean, they let me do whatever I wanted to do. You got the freedom. He said, if you ever think that something could get you in trouble, run it by me. But other than that, you go. And I did. Yes, you did. You know? And it's so great if 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 you have creative people, you know, don't put them, say, okay, you're creative, but you go down this narrow corridor here, you know. That is how things explode uh, entertainment-wise. Well, and also the other thing I read about you and talked to you once before about it is that the people you had on the air various DJ right show prep uh, uh, that's then that leaves a little headroom for extra brilliance if you go in with a show that's well done already then you know things can explode and so on it's but have a, that covered yeah and you know that that thing of called show prep brings about some incredible, incredible moments. Uh, you take uh, uh, Lan Roberts and uh, the amazing things that he could do and that we did together, you know. Uh, we had Granny and Clyde doing the traffic copter, you know, where they run out to Boeing Field and go over the checklist and get in the copter, fly over town and do these crazy things, you know. But that wasn't ad lib. Those were planned. We'd sit down and write that stuff and uh, and say, okay, this is too dumb, we're not going to do that, and so on. But, uh, Everybody's kind of spelling a doom and gloom of radio. They're, oh, it's gone. But when you look back in radio after the series were on radio, went to television, they said, oh, radio's done, and then because TV's in. And then the cars came out, and then radio, and then people like you innovated music on it, and it came back. 
the key that I think what you did and can occur or not, they have to have local broadcasting. Oh, absolutely. People in the booth, you cannot do it any other way. Right. I, and number two, you got to give them freedom, or at least the station freedom. You cannot sit in Chicago and orchestrate how a station in Seattle should sound. I'm sorry that dog don't hunt. Radio is either companionship or it's nothing. It's no better than the iPod, it's no better than anything. It's companionship. AM is proving that radio can still be great because AM is featuring people, talk radio, companionship. But the FM stations are are losing their revenue because their advertising isn't as effective as it once was because the spoken word is is minimized. The spoken word is, is other than maybe morning drive, the spoken word dimini- is diminished. It's not important. They won't let the people say anything. So as a result, the commercials don't have the impact on a station where people listen to the spoken word for entertainment, enjoying companionship. I could take a Seattle station right now. Now this sounds very braggadocious. Okay? Well, you're you're, could, you're owed that, okay? I could <laughs> seriously. I could take a Seattle station right now, working on a library of about fifteen hundred titles, all great hits, going all the way back to the mid fifties or the late fifties. Add personalities to it, and and just tear it up rating wise, because uh, uh, pe- people people don't have these narrow music tastes that the stations in. They get caught in these little slots and uh, a little niche. And they're so proud of their three share, you know. My God, how disgusting! <laughs> Can you imagine when you're going to what is it, Les Smith? Oh, we got a three share in Seattle. <laughs> You know, it'd be, be a tough meeting. But uh, yeah, but but it's silly because uh, I, I think I think an eight or a nine or even a ten share is is totally possible. Is doable. Totally, because the people are there and the people haven't changed. Radio changed. If I had that radio station, you understand? I could tell this to the programmers in Chicago, and they would say, "Well, wait, you know." Uh, uh, we we do it uh, high test music and blah 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 and so on, and the sequences, the way they play music, is so destructive because because the human being cannot tolerate sudden mood changes, and they will go from a very soft love song to a, a raucous rock and roll record, uh, or vice versa. And, and the human, the emotions don't adjust that quickly. We as humans, you can, you can have the funniest joke in the world, but if you tell that joke on the steps going up to a funeral, the people will think you're sick. Yeah, you can true. tell them after the funeral at the right. bar. You're on time. You can tell the joke. It's in the context. And laugh, right? Right. Because yeah. we don't adjust emotions that quickly. Okay, how does that relate to radio? I always said, called it a cyclical emotion music programming. First of all, each set should be of one genre. You shouldn't be playing a country record with a 
with a rap type record or a, a blues record. Country music's country music. And you should have that of that. All three songs in the sweep should be of that genre. But secondly, you want enthusiasm when the set is over with. But if you're coming off with a slow, moody song, the jock sounds terrible if he's all high pitched or a loud commercial. So what you do is you start each music set with your slowest, which is your down mood. Then you go to your mid-tempo, and then you end with the euphoric, or the up-tempo, exciting, fun song. Then we, you can go into your talk set with enthusiasm and so on and so forth. Uh, it's, I call it cyclical mood programming. Keeping the genres right, yeah. but keeping the music in a sweep like that. You do that, and, you know, but nobody does that. They don't even understand that. You know, we like to run our high test songs every third song in the sweep. What in the hell has that got to do with anything? You know, can you imagine if you had an art gallery and you put a Warhol next to a Mona Lisa? You disgraced both of them. But we do that with music. Interesting, because we don't appreciate the ear as much. Right. I mean, we see pollution, but we don't see right. uh, we take hearing songs pollution. That don't match at all, and play them side. Now, if we played them with their own genre and at the right time, it would be enjoyed. Sorry, but because of time limitations, this interview must come to an end for today. I will be playing more of my interview with Pat O'Day in the weeks to come. There is absolutely no way that you can begin to scratch the surface of what Pat O'Day has experienced during his lifetime. Didn't have time to really delve into his experience with Concerts West as owner and some of the pitfalls of that are owning a company that promoted concerts during the 1960s and 70s. There was a gag that was played on Pat O'Day that was absolutely brilliant by Rob Weller, the Yell King at the University of Washington, and then became a TV personality later. Paul McCartney and the Beatles came to town for the second time in 1966, and Rob Weller and his companions again launched one of the greatest practical jokes of all time. There was the KJR News Tip of the Week that led to a pretty catastrophic event at Newport High School. Now, what else? Uh, you could write a book on this. Ah, good news. There is a book, and it was written by Pat O'Day himself, and it's called It Was All Just Rock and Roll. Some of the stories we touched on and many more are in this book. I actually found myself laughing out loud on several occasions reading this book. If you grew up here in the 1960s and you remember KJR as being the dominant radio station in Seattle, you must read this book. Finally, I'll leave you with this. It's called The Spanish Castle. It was a teen nightclub, which Pat O'Day, of course, started. And in 1961, a young skinny kid by the name of Jimi Hendrix came up to Pat O'Day and asked for advice. Seven years later, while in Texas, Pat was at a concert that he was putting on, and Jimi Hendrix walked up to Pat and said, Can you believe this is happening? My answer to that is absolutely yes. If you were fortunate enough to get some of Pat's mojo, you can believe anything is possible. I 
I had the opportunity to catch up with Shannon Childs, who's the Senior Vice President and Marketing Director for Kitsap Bank at a Marketing Northwest event this week. Kitsap Bank is located in Port Orchard, and it has a presence in six counties in western Washington, which includes King, Kitsap, Jefferson, Clallam, Mason, and Pierce counties. It is a family-owned bank and has been in existence for 110 years, which surprised me. What piqued my interest in talking to Shannon was that she talked about something called the Edge Fund, which the entrepreneur in me wanted to explore further. And that has to do with an annual competition where small businesses are invited in to provide a chosen panel their ideas for going forward. I guess uh, what she described as a mini shark tank. And the winner gets funding of $20,000 towards their business. So let me pick up my conversation with Shannon and just get some background as to what the Edge Fund is all about. About five years ago, decided to create this small business competition because we wanted to um, meet entrepreneurs and small businesses that possibly weren't coming through the doors of the bank yet. Uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges for uh, entrepreneurs and small businesses is usually financing. And oftentimes they're overcoming that barrier by using their home equity or their credit cards or they're financing their businesses with the help of friends and family. And so we just really wanted to understand some of those businesses, meet some of them, and we decided to create a competition that really aligned with our corporate values. And so we created Edge Fund, and uh, the mission of Edge Fund is to recognize entrepreneurs who are growing our communities in three ways, economically, socially, and environmentally. Is it for people who are thinking about going into business and have a pitch, or is it like they've been in business? Uh, this is for um, small businesses that are really just kind of getting off the ground. But we like for the applicants to actually have a business, not just a concept or an idea, but really be involved in their business and have a true commitment to it. But it's for any small business that would like to participate. Um, you know, our area covers you know really uh, Western Washington, and uh, you know we're looking for businesses that um, are really making a difference in their communities. And, and, you know, one of the things that we ask them to do in the competition is to demonstrate how $20,000, which is the uh, total of the grand prize, would take their business to a whole new level. You know, why is that pivotal in the, the life cycle of their business right now? It's been going on for five years? That's right. Is there some businesses that, let's say, three or four years ago you funded that now you're going, hey, this is a great uh, poster child for what we're trying to accomplish? Is there something that comes to mind? We've had some really great businesses uh, come through the doors of our Edge Fund competition. One in particular is located in Olympia, and it's called Oli Kraut. And uh, Sash Sunday and her team um, uh, create fermented foods of various types, and of course sauerkraut being uh, their, their main product. Uh, but you know it's a great business. They are working with local farmers and uh, sourcing locally, and um, you know creating a great product that they're very very committed to. If someone's interested in this, how do they apply? 
so to apply to the edge fund competition and by the way the application period is opening up on July 2nd and it'll run through July 31st uh, all they have to do is visit Kitsap Bank's website kitsapbank.com and uh, search for edge fund and on July 2nd we will have our online application posted and it's really a pretty simple application process uh, one thing that we ask the applicants to do is to also create a two-minute video where they you know they make their case. That's Shannon Childs, Senior Vice President and Marketing Director for Kitsap Bank. If you own your own business somewhere in Western Washington and you think you need a boost, an income and who doesn't, of $20,000, visit kitsapbank.com to find out more about this edge fund and competition coming up. Again, that's kitsapbank.com. There's information on a workshop that's coming up in later June that will help a small business owner navigate what it takes to get into this competition. That's kitsapbank.com, all one word. Larry Kaufman is publisher of marketing, and along with his daughter, Melissa Vale Kaufman, the associate publisher of marketing and webmaster, hosts what has become known as The Event, an annual recognition of the best creative work in public relations, advertising, and communications, primarily from agencies anchored in the Pacific Northwest. This year, Larry and Melissa added the Person of the Year Award by a marketing and communications professional that soared to extraordinary heights in the past year. I'll just let Larry pick it up from here. Marcom Person of the Year Award. The intent of the Person of the Year Award is to put a focus on achievement in the, in the previous year. And as you can see on the poster back there, we had three excellent nominees. Frank Lethen of the Times, Rod Brooks, retired and now the Grandpa Project, and, and Julie Cole, our C plus C. Our recipient fits that criterion to a, to a T, or might I say a C, because the winner is Julie Cole, our C plus C. There are a couple things I wanted to say. That first, C plus C was named the PR Week Small Agency of the Year nationally. Also, Julie just has a remarkable record of service to a lot of organizations. And the final thing I would say is she's grown her agency to 70 people in Seattle, in Portland, and in Boston. Congratulations. And Thank you, everybody. I really appreciate this. This was truly a surprise because some little elves in my office nominated me while I was out of the country for two weeks. So I wasn't actually looking at any of Larry's emails that he was sending. So I didn't actually know I was nominated about a week ago, but super honored. Um, I couldn't do this without my amazing team at C plus C and all of our amazing clients. So really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Congratulations to CFC co-founder Julie Kohlhauer and runner-ups Frank Blethen and Rod Brooks. If you'd like to find out more about this event or about marketing generally, visit marketingnw.com. That's marketingnw.com.
That's all the time we have for this edition of Voices of Experience. My thanks to Pat O'Day, Shannon Childs, Larry and Melissa Vale Kaufman for appearing on today's show. And congratulations to Julie Cole Auer for marketing Northwest Person of the Year. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer of Voices of Experience. My phone number is 206-459-5536, 206-459-5536. Have a great rest of the week.